Good afternoon. Welcome to Screen Cleaning. I'm Jeff Simpson. And I'm Cole Wissinger. And at the movies, it's the most wonderful time of the year. Isn't a that... little later than the actual most wonderful time of the year, but it is. It's a, right in the middle of awards season. We're getting some of the best movies coming to theaters near you. But we're also getting some of the leftovers, which I know we're going to spend a lot more time talking about some of those lesser films in next week's show. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, we, each and every week on the show, we try to give you the very best in entertainment. And the first thing that we try to do is give you the best in entertainment news. So, Cole, what is coming out this weekend that we can talk about? News is expanding. So uh, the the theaters, you know, like we said before, when you want to win an Oscar, you release it in Los Angeles and New York for a couple <laughs> weeks right the last week of December. Right. And then – the movies actually get out to theaters around places right around now in January, like 1917, Sam Mendes' war movie that just picked up a victory, a couple victories at the Golden Globes That's right. this past weekend. Also, Just Mercy, a you know race drama with Michael B. Jordan and Jimmy Fox is expanding as well. That one looks pretty good, and it's PG-13. Mm-hmm. So, okay, and then there are a couple of... Well, we talked about some of those lesser films, and we don't, we haven't seen them. But just looking at some of the reviews for Underwater with uh, Kristen Stewart and Like a Boss with, uh, gosh, who's in that? There's Selma Hayek is in it. It looks like a raunchy female comedy that you know are really prevalent these days. Sure, but uh, yeah. So your choices are some some raunchy or uh, low budget sci fi. Films or some award-winning, potentially award-winning movies. And the true dearths of January will be everything that we're talking about next week on the show. And just the shame that it is that after the highest of highs, we hit to the lowest of lows. Um, but before we get off the new movies, I, I do want to mention not not necessarily a review because uh, we try to keep things clean here on the program. But I saw a movie that is also expanding around and has some Oscars and awards buzz to it that has. 408 uses of a particular four-letter word that begins with an F. Is it woe? Okay, I was just... Uncut Gems is good, but is inappropriate for absolutely every single reason you can be inappropriate. (laughs) When you go down the parent's guide on IMDb, they have sections like profanity and drug use and sexual content, and, and it just ticks every single box. But... But I I still kind of liked it. So when you talk about trash, like there's multiple different kinds of trash out there. Um, That's the kind of trashy, like inappropriateness. But it came together in a good movie. And it's when you bill it as like, oh, it's Adam Sandler in a drama. You know, you want to be able to talk about it. But this one's just a little too far. Cole, I, I think you bring up a good point because here on the show, like you said, we try to keep things clean. But not only that, we realize that to we're not making decisions for parents. We're not necessarily showing these films. I'm not showing these films to my kids. No. But what we can do on the show is tell you what's out there, but then also direct you to some resources that are available. You mentioned IMDb, the mm-hmm. Parents Guide. There are several filtering services that allow you to edit out some of these, uh, some of the content that's more objectionable. And I know that's kind of a hot-button topic for some people because they might have mixed feelings about that. Censorship. Right. But uh, we just want to make sure that, that our listeners are aware of all of the resources that are available that can help them make 
better choices as parents or just as consumers in general. Also, to give the fair warning to parents that just because Adam Sandler is in the movie does not mean it's it's fun for all ages. <laughs> so he's not going to dress up and drag or make fun of old people or uh, chubby kids or anything like or that. Or do Yeah, it's not this kind of an Adam Sandler movie, folks. And I'm sorry, that wasn't a very good impression on my end. I mean, I had nothing, so... Okay, um... <laughs> Would you like a piece of pie? There we go. And there we go. just for people to know, uh, he is also doing the hand gestures that go with Thank you. that. I, Thank I you for them... painting the full picture, Cole. Okay, job. so we mentioned the Golden Globes a little bit. That That's behind us, but there's something in front of us. And on Monday, we're going to get a taste of, of what's to come and what the big competition is going to be. Because Monday, they're releasing the Oscar nominations. I feel like I'm more excited. I'm... Like, we've just begun today's show, and I'm already excited for next week because I get to talk about January. I get to talk about movies. I get to talk about Oscar nominations. But there is news that has happened. So, yeah, we're getting Oscar noms next Monday. We'll talk about them on the you show. Gonna, you're going to wake up at Friday. 530 in the morning? To 4 a.m., I think, Salt Lake time is when they're Oof. showing up. Um, I'll see them when I see them. Okay. When, when I wake up. But there's other news that we're excited about that we got this week. Christian Bale should be on that list for best <gasps> oh, he, lead actor oh, in Ford v Ferrari. If there's any justice or if there's any just mercy in this world, <laughs> uh, Christian Bale will be nominated for best actor. But he's in a future project that we just got casting news about okay. uh, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. <gasps> Thor Love and Thunder, directed by Taika Waititi, who also should see his name on Monday's Oscar nomination list. Oh my goodness. Christian Bale, Thor Love and Thunder, what do you think? Whoa, okay. Uh, gosh, who could he possibly play in that film? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's just the, the, the wide world of the Marvel Cinematic I'm Universe. I'm guessing Christian, Christian Bale is going to play Thor's uh, beer gut. How about an actual prediction? The one character in the <laughs> Thor universe that we haven't really seen, that we've gotten a couple pieces of in the past couple movies, is Beta Ray Bill, who, who? is a sort of horse-like alien creature that would have to be totally CGI, kind of like Korg, right? Oh, no. I don't think you understand, Cole. Christian Bale is willing to make any sort of body transformation if the price is right. He's, he said that he was done with that, right? That he was going to like okay, but take when, his health when, first. When Taika Waititi knocks <laughs> on your door, I mean, what? You want me to be like a half man, half beast? I'll do it. Whatever you say. I would love to see Christian Bale in anything. I think he'll probably end up just being the villain and he'll be Christian Bale. But I still want to see Beta Ray Bill in one of these Thor movies. One okay. Of these days. Wow. Uh, that one is of the a... various people to have lifted Mjolnir over the years. Beta Ray Bill. Well, you know what else we have to talk about in terms of Oscars? No host for yeah. two years in a row. Is it that why sense. you're so excited for the Oscars again? Because hopefully there's no they'll host? be shorter. Okay, <laughs> I can only I can only pray, uh, especially after the the mixed reviews that Ricky Gervais got and that we knew that he would after the Golden Globes. I thought that this was pretty expected. Hmm. The Oscars want to be more down the line. You know, Cole, talking about casting news. Uh, well, let me just tell you a story. It happened. It happened today. Okay. Uh, when I woke up in the morning. And uh, the alarm gave out a warning. I didn't think I would make it on time. 
And by the time I grabbed my books and I gave myself a look, yeah. I, I was at the corner just in time to see the bus fly by. But you know what? It's all right. It's all right. Because I'm saved by the bell. Saved by the bell. Bell. Thank you. So, yes, there is a Saved by the Bell reboot in the works. I know. And it's going to focus on Mario Lopez and and Elizabeth Hurley. Who have aged so beautifully. Oh, my goodness. They had pictures of them on the show and then pictures of them now. They look beautiful still today. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. And... uh, and apparently, here's the plot, Cole. Okay. Let me just share the plot with you. Are you ready for this? Yes. So, Saved by the Bell is, uh, here's, the, here's the premise. When California Governor Zach Morris gets <laughs> into hot water for closing too many low-income high schools, mm. he proposes they send the affected students to the highest performing schools in the state, including... Bayside High. High. The influx of new students gives the overprivileged Bayside kids a much-needed and hilarious dose of reality. Will it it be hilarious? I am excited for that on so many levels, Has anything saved by the bell adjacent ever been hilarious? Cole, you're tramping on my childhood here. I I just want you to know. Just because I grew up in a better area of television than you, Jeffrey, doesn't mean that you have to nostalgically hold up these objectively terrible sitcoms. Okay. But- you just need to stop after when California Governor Zach Morris. You've got me. I'm sold. I will be there. So the this best is... sitcoms don't need a high concept. You just need funny people and funny writing and stick it anywhere. Right? The Office, The Simpsons, Seinfeld, which I argue is not terribly funny, but it was revolutionary in its day and people like it and whatever. But like that's just a group of funny people being funny together with good writing. You don't have to have this this grandiose plan of how we're going to bring people back. Cole, I feel like sometimes somebody just needs to put their hand on your shoulder and say it's oh, all right. Because you're saved be fair, by the bell. I have seen a few episodes you're of saved, saved by the Bell. by the bell, Cole. It's okay. Zach Morris's little timeouts. I'll tell you, the funniest thing about <laughs> Saved by the Bell is a, a little YouTube series by Funny or Die called Zach Morris is Trash. Just pointing out in every single episode how Zach Morris is just objectively the worst person to have ever walked the earth. The most selfish, the most conniving, the most just everything about him. They are so, so, so funny. Cole that kind of a person doesn't become the governor. Somewhat, well. <laughs> anyway, I think we, on that note, we probably ought to move on. Sure. Um, but I'm super excited about today's episode, Cole. Ooh, are you really? Yes, uh, because we're kind of uh, venturing into uncharted territory, at least for me. You are a huge fan of reality television. I am. Uh, I, let's just you say. You are a star. Of reality television. Really? So we do have something in common, Jeffrey. Hmm. Well, I can't wait to tell you about an experience that I had, an experience that I never even dreamed would be possible or that I would ever be interested in. And that's all coming up next here on Screen Cleaning. It's all right, cause I'm safe out of bail. If I were a rich man. All day long I bum If I were a wealthy man I wouldn't have to wear Cole if only I were a wealthy man, but I gotta tell you, I, I kinda feel like I'm rich. 
based on an experience that I had recently that I want to tell you about. So I know you've got questions, so just just have at it, Cole. This First of fun. all, why don't we tell our listeners what's going on yeah, here? Yeah, so I get to interview a, a TV star here, uh, the star of a Disney Plus property. No, it's not Pedro Pascal of The Mandalorian, nor is it whoever voiced the lady or the tramp and that if there were even i guess i haven't watched it yet were there voices yes or was it just dogs i think there are voices okay because cool. i know justin thoreau was the uh, the tramp but the coolest new disney plus thing is this show called encore where Kristen bell comes on and kind of guides us through a trip down memory lane where a group of um older people now go back and revisit what? the high school plays they put on in high school. Did you just call me old? I I called the people on this show older than they were in high school. And Jeff, that's you. Okay. Jeff, that's me. You were part of one of the high schools that was brought back to uh, do a play that you did again. Why did we come in with If I Were a Rich Man? Because I'm talking to the star of Fiddler on the Roof, Tevia himself, Jeffrey William Simpson. I'm blushing, Cole. Yeah, I I was Tevia back in high school in 2001, and uh, we got a call last year that the producers of Encore were interested in taking a look at our cast. And so, of course, we said yes, because more than just wanting to reprise our roles and I, you know, try to achieve that high school glory, right? As everybody does. We just wanted to hang out with each other. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that leads to, I think, my biggest question about all of this. And, and one of my biggest questions about reality shows in general that mm-hmm. we are going to delve a little bit more into after after we chat Encore. But how do you how do you get signed up for something like this? You said the, the producers reached out to you guys, but someone certainly submitted the old tape, right? Yeah, well, it was kind of a group effort because we had uh, one of the cast members submit an application on the behalf of everyone. Nice. And then we started getting messages from our our drama teacher saying, hey, just so you know, a producer from Encore is probably going to be calling you. And I think I had remembered seeing an announcement for this that the show was going to be kind of rebooted because it used to be they did a pilot for it on ABC and they were rebooting it for Disney+. And I thought, oh, that was cool. And uh, I didn't give it another thought until I saw that text message from my drama teacher. Yeah. And, and then what goes through your mind? Like, do you start going back to the cast? Like, trying? did you remember, like, who was in that show? Like, how, how was the memory from high school, early 2000s? Jeff? You know, I feel like my memory is getting worse and worse. <laughs> I do feel like I remembered a lot of the people that were my same age or that I was involved in other activities with. Like, I, there's a girl that I was in uh, choir with. Her name is Angela. And so we knew each other really well. We went to the same – we go to the same church. And – but I will admit I had to dust off the old yearbook and try to find the old program for Fiddler on the Roof. And, oh, gosh, uh, who else was in this? Because I wanted to be able to share their names with the producers as they were contacting us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. the the There's a fun moment. So – this culminates. The episode is about an hour long, and it mm-hmm. you you learn a play, and we're going to talk about that. But it kind of culminates in performing the play again. And on that playbill that night, there's little high school Jeffrey, and mm-hmm. then now Jeffrey, and as well as the other folks that came back to do the cast. Yeah, 
You'll you'll see in the episode that I get teased a little bit for that because we're going around and kind of comparing some of the older high school pictures. And it gets to me and pretty much everybody says, yeah, Jeff, you, you look pretty much exactly the same. At least my hair did anyway. That's not the worst thing to be accused of 20-some <laughs> years later. That's... Yeah, I'll take it. I'll <laughs> take it when I can get it. So so uh, what, how did the process start? Your first – so it's a very abbreviated time, right? Mm-hmm. So I guess the first question is did you get right to work? And then the second was – how long does it normally take? So I, I was not a theater kid in high school. Um, I assume that it normally takes more than six days to put on a, a stage production. The question uh, – the questions to all three of the – or the answers to all three of those questions, yes, six days, and yes. So let me backtrack and explain <laughs> yes. or expand a little bit. So uh, it was an awful lot of work and I did get to work – Immediately, as soon as I could get my hands on a script, I even went to the library and I checked out the script and I started just memorizing because uh, I was so excited when the word came that we're going to be doing this. But then I immediately thought, oh, no, we're going to be doing this. (laughs) I have like all of my dialogue is these ginormous monologues, right, that I'm giving to the audience. And uh, so I just went to work and thankfully... When we got the script from the producers, it was a condensed version of the script. And then even from there, cuts were made to make the show even shorter. So uh, that put my mind at ease a little bit. But still, it was a lot of memorizing in a very short amount of time. It certainly takes more than six days to put on a really good production. Having said that, I think all things considered... We put on an amazing production of Fiddler on the Roof. Unfortunately, you don't get to see the entire uh, play, but uh, you do get to see snippets of it. And I'm I'm darn proud of of what we did. I, my favorite snippets are when they go back and show the Fiddler on the Roof from 2000, 2001, whenever it was. Yeah. Who do you know whose recording that was that that had a copy of Fiddler? You know, I'm not sure where we ultimately got that because we were reaching out to everybody and anybody and their parents who was in any way, shape, or form involved with Fiddler on the Roof. And we had some people that had like these old digital tapes that were kind of, they would skip. And, you know, my brother was able to get some uh, clips where the audio wasn't very good. But I think there was just a really great parent of one of the cast members that had the whole thing on tape. And uh, gosh, that made the difference because without that, we wouldn't have been cast. That's true. Yeah, because they have to be able to go back. And, That's right. And do They've that. got to show it. Okay, so let's go through the cast, right? Um, it, the whole the whole production wasn't brought back. They focus on is it six or seven of of you alumni. So which parts for those that are for those in our audience that are more familiar with Fiddler than I am or was because so far that one episode of Encore is. All that I know about Fiddler on the Roof, I've mm-hmm. never seen it. Mm-hmm. Um, go ahead and and tell us just a little bit, Jeffrey. Uh, headlines, I will say, as well, Tevia, you. and then what's the story of Fiddler on the Roof? Walk us through it and tell us like who was brought back, who wasn't. Yeah, so Fiddler on the Roof is the story of a family man who is having a difficult time adapting to all of this change that is being thrust upon him. Seemingly all at once. He is a a Jewish man, and they are very big into their 
traditions, right? Good acting. And so, yeah. And uh, let me let me just share some of the cast members that made it back 18 years later. Cool. Angela Kirkman, that she's the one I mentioned earlier that uh, went to church with, and we've we've stayed good friends. Dustin Abadaka, who is this wacky character who's in a band, and he has this beautiful, huge, curly mane that is mentioned extensively in the episode. <laughs> James Mankey, who uh, he he looks great with this uh, another long mane and a, a full beard, and he's a stay-at-home dad. Then there's Matt Corcoran, who is a high school teacher. So our our very own high school drama teacher had a huge impact on him. You can tell. Michelle Anderson, who is still acting, and she's fabulous. She was my wife in the play, Golda. And uh, Ryan Shackman, who I believe is, is really the star of the episode. He's got uh, a really tender story that he shares about his mom, and he is quite a character. He is, he is equal parts sweet and... And absolutely hilarious. Yeah, and it's kind of through him that we dive into the concept that all of Encore tries to tackle is how do people change and grow and and become different people from who they were in high school through the years? And then how weird is it to have to step back into that high school world for just one week? You know, it was weird. I think it was more weird to reprise our roles because, seriously, who would ever thought, hey – we're gonna we're gonna go back and we're gonna do Fiddler on the Roof one more time. Get what do the you band say? Back together. Yeah, yeah. And that uh, Dustin actually says something to that effect in the episode. But um, the part that I was surprised wasn't very weird was just reuniting with these friends from 18 years ago, some of whom I hadn't seen in as many years. But uh, it was like we just jumped right back in. Wasn't awkward or weird, at least not for me. And uh, we also got to spend a lot of time, we got to spend the whole week with our old drama teacher who made, not only made this this whole experience with Encore possible, but uh, he made our love of theater and uh, he, he made that possible. And he had a huge impact on our lives, not just our, you know, our aspirations, but our lives in general. Was he, did he make it into the episode? You know, this is kind of a, a sore subject for our cast because Aww. he's all but cut out of the episode. But, uh, Terry, if you're listening, we love you. You're not cut out of our hearts. Because <laughs> I've heard so, in, and now I want to hear a couple more just behind-the-scenes stories of things. You, you had cameras on top of you for a whole dang week, and then I've only seen 55 minutes of that. What other, like, goofy things was Disney Plus having you do that didn't make it into the show that people can watch. You know, I, I kind of wish that they would release some of these extras, you know, as part of the, you know, as part of the episode on Disney Plus because we did a lot of crazy wacky stuff. Some of it uh um I think is actually really weird. I don't <laughs> I can't tell if if we would just find it funny or if an uh a a neutral third party would also find it funny, but we had a blast. I mean, if if I could have a copy of that entire week, I wouldn't mind just sitting down and watching seven days worth of footage because even though that might not be interesting to other people that don't know us, 
it certainly would be interesting to us, especially because we shared a lot of tender, sweet experiences that you don't necessarily see in the episode, but that we will always remember, even without the proof of it. There's one more thing that I, knowing Jeff, uh, was kind of sad, didn't make it into the episode at all. You you play a Russian Jew, Tevya, during the course of this, and your Russian accent is just on point throughout the entire thing. Because you'll you speak Russian yourself, right? Da, cool. Da. <laughs> How did that not make it in there at any point that the reason Jeff's Russian is so great is because you actually do it? You know, you're not the only person that has brought that up because, uh, yeah, I lived in Russia for two full years. Right. And so I was immersed in the language. I certainly am not as well versed in the language uh, now as I was, gosh, 15 years ago or so. But, um, yeah, that was certainly something that I could draw upon and certainly helped me to appreciate the role and that that culture a little better. But, yeah, that, that part didn't necessarily make it into an ep- the episode. It is a, it's a juggling act, Cole, to try to not only juggle the screen time between these seven awesome people, mm-hmm. eight if you count our awesome drama teacher – but then also try to make it compelling for people that have that know nothing about us, right? And then also show the process of what it's like to put on a show in six days, which is such a daunting task. And I, like I said earlier in the interview, I'm I'm very proud of the end result as far as what we were able to accomplish. Uh, in such a short amount of time. What kind of tips did you take away from some of the professionals you got to work with through the process as well? Because like you said, it's only six or seven, seven or eight people that come back to actually be in it. And then you kind of get bolstered up by other professional actors. You had a professional director and, you know, the music coach that you were with. Did you kind of, was it fun getting to be kind of a professional actor for a week? Absolutely. And I can totally appreciate that under different circumstances, I probably would not have been on stage at the Pasadena Playhouse (laughs) or been cast as Tevya in a production of Fiddler on the Roof. But uh, since I did have the opportunity, I tried to eat up all of the counsel and advice and direction that they would give us. And I feel like we, we, we pretty much bonded with the director and the musical director and the choreographer. And, uh, yeah, I'll never forget some of the tips that they gave us. One of the things that's brought up in the episode is that, you know, I was playing Tevya kind of the same way that I did back in high school 18 years ago. And unfortunately, you don't get to see the culmination of that because I do feel like as a cast, we took that direction to heart. And a lot of that uh, shows up in the second act of the play, which... You know, for time restraints, uh, wasn't in the episode. There may have been other factors at play. But I I know what we were able to accomplish. I think the directors do, too. And so I don't feel like we necessarily have to have that proven on the video. Because in our hearts, we know that we that we accomplished what we set out there to do, which was not only rekindle our friendships— but just put on the best darn show that we possibly could. So if you were in the audience that night, you got to be a part of a super exclusive event because more than likely 
the entire production on film will never see the light of day. I think it's I think it's in the Disney vault, Cole. There we go. Somewhere deep down. I thought down. they were supposed to open the whole thing up for Disney+. Plus. Somewhere maybe just above Song of the South. Gotcha. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> one last question for you. Personally, right, you got to revisit Tevya, but if there is one character on on the stage that you think is your dream casting call, what is your dream role? Well, it depends because are you talking shows that I was in or shows that Any I was show. never in? Yeah. So if it was a show that I was in, what do you I think you were just born to play. Uh, ooh, that I was born to play. Well, um, I would have loved to have reprised the role as Oren Scrivello DDS in Little Shop of Horrors, a show that they have not uh, done on Encore yet, but that I was in and I actually played in high school my junior year. And I would really be interested in doing that one again because I do feel like I was just doing an impression of Steve Martin. So I would have loved to have heard what direction these directors would have given and how I could have changed it up and made it more of an organic uh, like genuine performance. Um, but if it was a show that I had never been in, gosh, uh, I I wanted to be Tony in West Side Story in high school. I wanted to be Harold Hill in West Side Story in high school. Or no, Harold Hill in The Music Man in there high school. <laughs> and uh, I actually really, really, as far as smaller roles go, I really wanted to be Conrad Birdie in Bye Bye Birdie. Interesting. Never got to do any of those. We were supposed to do West Side Story, I know, one year, but I think there was a new choir teacher that year who thought that maybe that was a little too ambitious to put on a show of that scope and magnitude. Right. But, uh, yeah, and James, who was also in the cast, he was also cast as Oren Scrivello DDS in, an, in a different cast. So I would venture to say that that would probably be his same answer. Interesting. Yeah. Well, Jeff, thank you for giving us a peek behind the scenes of reality television. No, knowing you and then going and seeing you on television was a very unique experience for me. And I just must say your your big and comfortable personality fit so well. I cannot imagine for one second being on stage in the first place, but then also having to like be followed around and being able to be myself <laughs> while all of that is happening, you did wonderful, my man. Well, thank you, Cole. And I just want to say one more thing. A lot of times with reality TV, and we'll talk about this here in just a bit on the show, I think, I think people usually associate reality TV with uh, – it's kind of got a negative connotation at times, right? Yeah. Because, you know, they want to pit people against each other or they, you know – People, you know, reunite and it's not always a good thing. But in this case, it certainly was the best thing. One of the best things that has happened to me this year and in my lifetime. I I tell people that I feel like I've walked on the moon because how many people that have lived can say that they've had an experience like this? And I'm so grateful for that. So grateful to have been in the show with my wonderful castmates and uh, yeah, to be able to rekindle those friendships. And I love them. I loved them in high school, and I love them even more now. And really quickly, I just want to say their names one more time because they deserve the credit. Again, Angela Kirkman, Dustin Abadaka, James Menke, Matt Corcoran, Michelle Anderson, Ryan A. Shackman, and Terry Schwing, the man who made it all possible. 
shows like this just get the imagination going. Anyone that's done anything in high school, you know, whether you were on the football team or in the drama department or just in, in choir or band or whatever it is, you dream about being able to go back and, and visit that again. Jeff, you had the chance to, and, and it was fun watching it on television. Thank you. All right. When we come back after talking with a reality star, Jeff and I are going to talk about some of the other reality television out there uh, that maybe does delve into a little bit more of the the manufactured drama. That's coming up next on Screen Tendencies. You'll be a dentist. You have a talent for causing things. Some be a dentist. Okay. All right. Even you, Jeff, can recognize this song, right? Yes. This is uh, this is American Idol. It is. I woo. I was wondering if you were going to get it. <laughs> American Idol, one of the flagship kind of reality competition shows out there. And after talking to Jeff about a fun and wholesome, different kind of reality show, I want to talk about all the different other reality television that is out there because I am a personal fan of. Uh, of some good old-fashioned guilty pleasures. And that's okay. what reality TV really is. Now, lest you think that I am a complete novice of reality TV, uh, viewing anyway, um, <laughs> I have seen some reality television. I I was, I don't know if forced is the right word, uh, coerced, maybe, that's into just as bad. watching a couple episodes of of a reality dating show we don't have to name it by name you can name it later and and i'll just nod i'll name it right now it was the bachelor and it was Uh, me that forced you to do it okay well by the way the bachelor's back i I love that this timed out so perfectly see the new season just started this past week the three hour season premiere happened and i watched it you know peter's back hannah b is back you're now okay now you're speaking a foreign language (laughs) but there was a show that i watched and then they canceled it you can't you, you can't cancel my the only reality TV show that I watch. It seems like they did. What was it? It was uh, the Sing Off, where they would get acapella groups together to compete. They did three seasons. They did, and in the second season, that's when I was introduced to probably the most amazing acapella group that I've ever seen. And so it's no surprise that they became like these YouTube megastars, and now they tour the country and do quite well for themselves. In Pentatonics. Fact, Pentatonics. They they had a cameo in uh, Pitch Perfect three or two. I want to say one of those I films. Think it was the third one. And yeah. then they all. I think they also did a song for uh, Illuminations, uh, The Grinch, that came <laughs> out recently. So they're doing quite well for themselves. And that it's season all due two to, of the sing off. Also all had due to the sing off. Vocal point of here in BYU. That is true. That is true. Noteworthy, also of BYU, the All oh Ladies Singing Group was in season one of the sing. I loved the the sing off. Is my personal favorite of the singing competition subgenre of reality television. It was so cool because, and, and I think what made it that way, and we can start talking about what makes each competition show different, is that the judges 
were were judging, but they were given constructive criticism, and they were also they sounded like they understood the industry. Like the sing off was very singing, like the, what makes the singing good focused. And so you, you had three people that know singing, and were talking about being pitchy or you know having the middle filled in or, or things that you don't normally hear on just all the other singing shows. Yeah, yeah, I loved it. I they shouldn't have canceled it after three seasons. I. I think there's probably just only so many acapella groups out there that they could get together to You know compete. what they ought to do. They ought to go the Disney Plus route, and they ought to resurrect it on Peacock, the streaming service. Ah, huh? for NBC. That's right. They should totally do it, and they should get Pentatonics to be the judges. So American Idol that we came in with is another of those competition singing shows. The Voice also takes a different style where – um, where you are being a little bit more suppo- supportive because each one of the quote-unquote judges are actually your coach, right? You, you yeah. get to get someone on their team and then they so coach cool. them up to support them into being the next the next American idol, if Super you will. Super cool, yeah. <laughs> um, but that all of those fall into the competition subgenre. The way I figure it, and I'm not sure if any academic articles have ever been written on, on reality <laughs> TV. But in my experience, there's about three subgenres of reality. There's the competition show, right, which includes your singing, which includes your surviving, which includes your America's Not Next Top Modeling or Next Food Network Star or Next Big Thing. If if you're going to be the next of something, you're competing with others, you're in the competition subgenre. Okay. Right? Then you have kind of the slice of life or, or just a, a voyeur into what's going on. And mm-hmm. that is kind of where reality began. And I'll talk a little bit more about that uh, later. And then there's the more documentary or, or you have a reason for watching them. They're, the people are doing something, right? Are, are you going to mention uh, the uh, the very Brady renovation or whatever it was called? That's, that's where they're doing something, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You get people together or you just watch someone at their job for a couple of days and get a, a peek into what it's like being an ice road trucker or a deadliest catch fisherman yeah. or a yeah. cop, like on Cops, for example. Jeff, what do you think what do you think Encore falls into? Because uh, you y'all weren't competing, but you were singing. Yes. We were watching you every step of the way. Yeah, and it wasn't a competition. Isn't is there like an inspirational uh category in there somewhere, Cole? No, because I think this is the first actually good, decent <laughs> reality show out there. Because as so as I mentioned, right, that middle chunk where we're just kind of watching people be people, this is where reality began because this was the real world. Aha, uh-huh. yes. In the early, early nineties on MTV, one of the, the longest running program on MTV, it was just get seven people into a house and watch them tear each other apart. The drama of people being awful was how reality began. And at some point, all of the genres, however inspirational maybe an episode may be, they have their life by watching bad people be bad people. Right. <laughs> you know, to be honest with you, I actually think it would have been kind of fun to, to like just be in one big cabin where we're all spending 24 hours a day together. <laughs> but maybe that would have been too much of a good thing and everybody else lived close enough to home that they could just go back to their families at night. Whereas I sat alone in a hotel. That's true. Everyone and I mean the the fellow that was a teacher still was keeping his day job. Right. The... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was fun to watch. 
Yeah, I remember the real world. I don't know that I really watched it, but uh, yeah, I uh, people need distance, Cole, from time to time, and uh, they probably I man, I think there would be a lot of horror stories that people could share if people were following them with a camera twenty four seven. And that's the idea. That's <laughs> those horror stories, and that's why people watch. That's why people like me watch. The real world was really wrapped up really well in how they presented it. This is the true story. True story. Seven strangers <laughs> picked to live in a loft and have their lives taped to find out what happens. <laughs> what? When people stop being polite. Could you get the phone? And start getting real. The real world. Find out what happens when people. Stop, you know, take down all those walls that we put up between us and they get real. Riveting, Cole. I'm running out to put it on my DVR right now. But also just kind of watching people is why we have shows that that kind of glamorize people for just living their lives. You have Keeping Up with the Kardashians, the Osbournes. Jersey Shore, Real Housewives, which is coming here to Salt Lake, coming soon. Really anything on YouTube, too. Like, people make a career out of just filming themselves doing stuff at home. They share their life. Yeah. And people want to see it. Hmm. The first – I mean, I would – I love that idea because the first big YouTube star that was recognizable was Lonely Girl 15, I think was her little handle on Who? YouTube. What? Lonely Girl – 15. What, who's that and what's a handle? On YouTube. Okay. Like it's that's your the username. username. Okay. You know? Because back then you didn't like <laughs> use your real name or you didn't, you know, you came up with something creative-ish. I knew what a handle was, but I was just trying to illustrate how unfamiliar I am with these YouTube stars. But that that blew up and, and it became so dramatic when we found – like it started off with just her recording herself and trying to be real and then there was drama when it turned out she was a professional actress that was just playing a character, uh-huh. which is what all reality eventually delves into. The the quote unquote of reality television is really what you got to talk about when you so, talk reality. So they Milli Vanillied her. They tore off the Scooby-Doo mask. Yes. And uh, they said, hey, it's you from that old uh, low budget HR video. And you know what I would have happened? gotten away with it too if it weren't for you uh, meddling, meddling kids. kids. Sorry. <laughs> what happened when it happened though? When when she got exposed as being an actress? Uh huh. Her uh, views went up. Of course, people were just as interested. People were just as intrigued at something that they know is not real as they are <laughs> with the facade of reality on top of it. Yeah. But I mean, that's why I personally gravitate towards the competitions because even and it's probably because i actually love game shows so much um and the competitions seem a little bit more real even the ones that are you know featuring characters that are playing amped up versions of themselves it feels like someone does win at the end and that that works with me right and one of the coolest reality shows that are on right now it's just a game show but it kind of features characters more so than it normally does. The Jeopardy tournament has brought back three <gasps> of its uh, all stars. Now, Cole, this is this is like your world right now, I, as I understand. Oh, combine game shows with reality. This is I, this is my favorite kind of just <laughs> relaxing television. And yes, thinking about like 
what decade, what was happening in the 1340s or, you know, who was the capital of Kazakhstan. This is real, relaxing for my brain. Um, you know what? You know what seems we talked about just mercy today or you know what seems unjust, Cole, huh. is that you can go on Jeopardy and rack your brain to try to remember the questions to these answers. Yes. See what I did there? Mm-hmm. Uh and you know you could walk away with like a thousand dollars, right? You could you could work your bum off trying to to do your best, and you could walk away with a thousand bucks. What is a lot of hard work? Uh, yes, appearing on Jeopardy. Um, <laughs> we worked together on that one, Cole. <laughs> but then you go on a show like The Price Is Right, or you go on a show like Wheel of Fortune, and you can walk away with like forty thousand dollars. Now, to be fair. There's a lot at play there. There, I mean, there is the angst. There's the uh, there's the factor of being on television and dealing with all of that anxiety and stress, and you know the energy of the crowd. And people aren't the same when the spotlight is on them. But uh, yeah, I, I, that's why I think it would be a lot easier for me to go on a show like Wheel of Fortune, spin a wheel. And uh, walk away with a new car. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there's better ways to make your money. There's there's other game shows that kind of have a higher payout than sure. Jeopardy. But if you're one of these three greats, James Holtzauer, Ken Jennings, and Brad Rutter, they've managed to make a, a decent amount of money on Jeopardy over the years. I haven't seen these three episodes. Can you can you tell us at all what happened? The greatest of all time tournament, without giving spoilers, by the way. But okay. the concept is that they're playing in hour-long episodes of Jeopardy, which is actually just is two usu- episodes of Jeopardy. Oh, it's usually only 30 minutes? Yeah, Jeopardy's oh. 30 minutes. You have the Jeopardy round, then the uh, double Jeopardy, and oh my then goodness. final Jeopardy. Now, are they playing for themselves, or are they playing for some sort of charity? This one, I'm pretty sure, is themselves. Okay. But they're not winning every single dollar that they necessarily win in every game. It's more of a points thing. Okay. And then the person with the most points gets the grand prize. And then the other two get like $1,000. <laughs> Brought to you by Advil every single week. That's what it is. Oh, my goodness. But but to see the three greatest Jeopardy! champions, really, like, clearly of all time, right? It used to be just Ken and Brad. And then they had their little thing where they went up against the computer and IBM Watson but now for there to be a third competitor there, James Holtzauer, who, is who really, really changed recent. the way. Yeah. It, it was earlier. Yeah, it was just last year. He was in the most recent Tournament of Champions. And, and he kind of changed the way Jeopardy was going to be played. He's a gambler by profession. And he he bets it all on the Daily Doubles every single time. He knows how to time. bet, too. Yeah. He knows exactly how much to put on that final Jeopardy to make sure he's a dollar more than the next possible. And he weighs all those outcomes. And he's just – he is a genius in that own mathematical right in addition to knowing all of this trivia. Sure. Man, that is super impressive. So what happens is they, they each play these like back-to-back games of Jeopardy. And then if you won that, then you get one little check mark. And then the first one to win three – of these super games, I guess, wins overall. We're a little bit into it so far. No one has won so far. So okay. they'll keep coming back to it. I think the only way I could ever play Jeopardy is the way that Bill Murray plays it in the film Groundhog Day, where he's seen the video so many times, or he's seen the episode so many times that he knows every single answer. <laughs> yeah. you watch If you lived the same episode of Jeopardy over and over again, you might be able to... And I apologize if it sounded like I was uh, discounting Wheel of Fortune or Price is Right. The Price is Right, to be clear, has always been my favorite game show. (laughs) I loved it so much 
that uh, I would try really hard to wake up in time every morning during the summer to watch it. And unfortunately, and hopefully this doesn't say too much about me, I never could. Pretty sure The Price is Right was on at noon. Uh, where I lived, it was 10 o'clock, but I, I couldn't do it, Cole. Oh, I, do they really run The Price is The Price is Right is important enough that they run it live time in time. Because I grew up on the East Coast, two hours. Well, yeah. no, that would have been three hours behind California. I know. What but are they doing? when I say it out loud, it sounds horrible that I couldn't get up at 10 o'clock in the morning to watch The Price is Right. To be fair, when I'm sick or something, I would normally wake up around noon. Like, I remember that so well because The Price is Right was just always in progress mm-hmm. when I would wake up. So what else in reality TV is there that I'm missing out on, Cole? Yeah, so those are like the gamey game shows, but I think... My my personal favorite, and I think the reality show that blends everything to perfection when it comes to drama and competition and intrigue and and just overall cultural pervasiveness is Survivor. Ooh. Okay. See, now this is the type of show that would drive my wife nuts because she doesn't like it when People are doing other things to uh, harm other people. Oh, the backhandedness of Survivor is unprecedented. Hmm. Okay. So, a bunch of strangers get together on an island. So, yeah, you start with the similar, just, we're going to watch what happens when you make a bunch of normal people uncomfortable, right? You have to be on an island. You have to fend for yourself. You really, like, I mean, you do have to know how to make a fire, know how to build your own little tree hut or whatever. You don't. You don't just have that waiting for you when you get there. But where does the camera crew sleep and eat and hang out? Probably in actual huts, but they don't let the competitors go to those huts. That okay. Exist. Do, do they get any of the? Do they get any of the catered uh, food that the crew does? Once in a while, Jeff, they have mm. competitions, physical challenges, if you will. Not steal from Double Dare for a second, but they have these these little events that happen where you do a, a little game show thing, and if you win that, you get a prize that is sometimes, you know, a flint that helps you make fire easier. Or mm. sometimes a catered fried chicken dinner. Or um, you get to call your parents, or you get to, you know, have family visit you. And, and that was a big thing, especially early on. You know, you're out there for 39 days, and to be away from your loved ones for that period of time to, like, get them to come and kind of reinvigorate you, it was a big uh, reward that Hmm. they had. You know, it's interesting because you can actually make quite a career from appearing on Survivor. Uh, I think I'll always remember the girl that was in a cast, uh, oh gosh, back uh, earlier in the 2000s. Her name is Colleen Haskell. Yep. She appeared alongside Rob Schneider in The Animal. And... That's interesting. You can also make a career out of being Survivor because they locked into, I think, before any of the other reality shows were, that when you have a star, when you have someone that people are rooting for, you can bring them back and have them root for them again. It seems like nowadays every other season of Survivor is some kind of all-stars or fans versus favorites or bringing back people that have been on Survivor before and have them be on it again. Hmm. And that's because as people, we end up rooting for someone, right? When you watch The Bachelor, when you watch America's Next Top Model, whatever it is, you got the one you're rooting for. And some shows like American Idol implemented fan voting where you could text that little five-digit number and say who your vote was. Or now they do it on Twitter and all kinds of other fancy places. But 
we get we get to be fans of specific characters and survivor kept bringing those characters back so did uh, Colleen Haskell end up winning the episode that she was in? She was I, in the first season. I don't think so. Yeah, I remember the first season. That was Richard Hatch, and that was Kelly, um, who I was personally rooting for at the time, and then the older fella. So I I don't remember Colleen that well. Okay. but And it looks like she was offered a part in the All-Stars cast, too, but uh, turned it down. She didn't want to do it anymore. She, she'd gone through it enough the first yeah. time. And so I guess Survivor. you could say she did not survive. <laughs> Survivor, Survivor really is that kind of a reality show where it puts you through something that the other ones don't necessarily, that maybe you don't want to be, you know, the fame isn't worth it the second time. Mm. Okay. Where no one really wouldn't go on American Idol again, right? You see people all the time that didn't make it and then they go on a different one or they just want to be professional singers. So, Cole... You've got me convinced that maybe I need to watch more reality TV that revolves around game shows. But is there anything else that you think is worthy of my time? If you enjoy drama, you know, if, if this yes. is if this is something that you like, then these kind of shows might be up your alley. A lesser gamey of a game show is the one that just, you know, I talked about coming back this week. It's The Bachelor. It captivates millions every time it comes around. And again, they tapped into the idea of people have favorites. The reason Peter is The Bachelor this season is because he was a contestant on The Bachelorette last season with Hannah B. And the reason Hannah B. was The Bachelorette that season is because she was a contestant on Colton's The Bachelor season the year previous. Okay. I, I'm and that's sorry. to say nothing of Bachelor in Paradise. I'm sorry. I kind of I kind of blanked out there. Um just pretend like I was listening the whole time and then... Drama, yes. relationships, fun. Okay. The Bachelor. So, oh, the, oh, the Bachelor. Okay. Yeah. I thought we were talking about a different show. Sorry. That's okay. You know, to each his own. Do you prefer the uh, where they're just sitting around doing their jobs? Pawn Stars is a version of a reality show, kind of. Dog the Bounty Hunter. You just get an interesting character doing a weird job. Oh, I think, everybody, I think everybody loves them some Dog the Bounty Hunter. Jeff, you're making fun of me. No, I'm not. Dog the Bounty Hunter. Come on, okay, Cole. Good. Yeah, I mean, what? About, I mean, could we count like Antiques Roadshow or like the, is? What's if it's that on show? PBS, I don't think it counts as a reality. Show. What's that show that they they like go to a garage and they bid on stuff? Well, there's Jay Leno's Garage, but there's also you're thinking of Storage Wars. Yeah, that's uh-huh. kind of fun. I like I like things where people bid with money that I will never have. That's the kind of thing that I I like to see. If you were a rich man. If I were a rich man, I probably would not be in somebody's old garage bidding on stuff that I'm just going to put in a pawn shop somewhere. That's true. I'd probably take my family on a vacation or something. Well, I would sit around and just watch more reality television. Jeff, I'm glad you let me kind of – you indulged me for a couple minutes to talk about – Something that we've never – the show has been on for like three years. We've talked about TV, movies, books, podcasts. We've never talked reality TV before. This was all over the place, but my love for reality TV is also all over the place. It's a little scattered. To be clear, I – and I feel like this is the second or third time I've apologized in this conversation, Cole. I, I did say also to each his or her own. Yeah. And uh, – you know, reality TV isn't something that is currently on my DVR, and that's okay. I mean, there are shows 
in my DVR that I'm sure would not be on somebody else's DVR that they could think just as poorly of me. And I'm not saying I think poorly of anyone, (laughs) but uh, yeah, to each his or her own. That's one of the great things about television is that there's just something for everybody. Right, Cole? There's a lot out there. Yeah. Well, speaking of something for everybody and, you know, still speaking about reality TV, when we come back, we want to do a little panning for good. And that's up next on Screen Cleaning. There's good in them dire hills. Cole, I am excited to tell you about a piece of reality television that... uh, you know, is actually quite good. And again, it comes from Disney+. Plus. You and I saw an episode of it together. We we mentioned it briefly on the show before. But I think, Cole, when it all comes down to it, what I'm missing in my reality TV is I need a hero. I need a hero. You're holding out for a hero. Uh, and sometimes I need a Marvel hero. Nice. But, you know, Captain America, Iron Man, uh the Black Widow, they're kind of busy fighting uh, crime and bad guys and stuff. So where can I find a real-life hero that is actually making a difference in the world? Well, you could turn to the Marvel's Hero Project. That's a great place to start, Cole, because it focuses on really these real people and the real-life small things that they're doing to make a difference in a big way. And I think that's something that we could all do a little more with, right, Cole? Uh, To see those stories, but also to try to duplicate or come up with our own stories and be our own heroes. We don't necessarily have to do it setting out to become a hero, but we can make a difference in other people's lives for sure. It's something to get behind, seeing the little things that that other, and it's kids too. You know, we talk about trying to be family friendly, and a lot of these are just kids that aren't waiting for someone else to do it for them. They are going out and being the heroes that they want. Right. And so it all culminates, each episode culminates in them basically being inducted into the Marvel's hero roster. They give them they give them all sorts of swag and, you know, they're uh, an official certificate and and a comic book. Right. Of them. That is so cool. What could be cooler as a kid than a comic book of you as the hero? Nothing. <laughs> well, that's exciting. You know, we've talked a little bit about Disney Plus today, and uh, there is lots of content on there you can find. Just because I was on a Disney Plus show doesn't mean that I'm getting any royalties. <laughs> I had to sign up for Disney Plus just like the rest of you, okay, folks? All right. And uh, I'm enjoying it, and I can't wait to go see what else they've got on there. But I've had such a fun time talking with Cole Wissinger today, and hopefully Cole's had a good time talking to me on screen cleaning today. I always do. We're here each and every Saturday from, uh, not from 3 to 6, but 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on BYU Radio. Stay tuned for the three-hour edition of screen cleaning coming probably never. Oh, if only, Cole. Next week on the show, we're going to be talking the best January movies. Now, what do we mean by that? Well, you'll have to tune in next week to find out. Until then, 